0: hello everyone you have tuned in to stories between the lines podcast so a very warm welcome this is nandini your host and creator of this podcast i want to first start off this episode on a thankful note from the bottom of my heart i thank you all my wonderful supportive listeners for such an outpour of appreciation for my last episode my humble little effort in bringing to you all a breezy version of a grandiose novel, Pony Selvan, was so well received. I am so happy that the podcast helped you understand and appreciate the movie better. Wasn't the movie spectacular? I for sure enjoyed every screenplay and at the end, I had to really clap out loud for the performances of every actor and actress who gave their best performance to bring alive the characters in the book that until now existed only in the reader's imagination. I just love the fall weather, my favorite time of the year. The autumn days are crisp and the nights are so cool a perfect weather to curl up in a cozy place and sink into a good book. And I did just that, with a very nostalgia-infusing book. This book not only took me on a journey through the corridors of the author's childhood, but triggered so many memories of my childhood in India. Deepthi Navo most of us know her as this dusky beauty who is an exceptionally talented actress. She has given us so many memorable performances. I can never forget her charming girl-next-door smile as Miss Chamko in Chasmi Baddur. She has performed sensitive and close-to-life characters in movies like Mirch Masala, Saat Angor, and most recently, Listen Amaya. She has showcased various facets of women and established herself as one of the brightest stars to grace Indian cinema. She is not only a gifted actress, but is also an accomplished poet, painter, and photographer. Now she has added another artistic feather to her already crowded cap as a prolific writer. Her recent book, A Country Called Childhood, is a series of childhood memories beautifully strung together. She relives her childhood through this book and paints a beautiful portrait of Ambritsar, the city of her childhood. Will there ever be a face like childhood in our life? Probably never. We all have our own special childhood memories. Now, do memories make us or do we make memories? Whatever it may be, memorable stories definitely shape us and our life for sure. Readers of this memoir will also find themselves, dig deep into their own childhood memories. The book is also a tribute to Amritsar. This walled city is a place she grew up in the 50s and 60s, the decade following India's independence. This 350 plus page book is mostly written from the author's memory. Thanks to the habit of jotting down her life's moments, both the highs and lows, happy and sad moments. Like a cinematic screenplay, she narrates the story of her unconventional Punjabi family, capturing the simple moments of her everyday life imprinted in her consciousness. Despite the length of the book, there is not a single dull page. There's simplicity in her writing that is so enduring and truthful. Now, you may ask why this book or what do I want to know about Deepti Novel and her childhood? Well, for me, a few aspects of the book instantly connected with me on a personal level. I think it was so reflective. It kind of rekindled some of the scenes and incidents from my own life, my childhood. While reading memoirs, we often come across experiences that parallel our own and uh, kind of draw a resemblance with the author's story, right? Certain chapters in the book rekindled some of the childhood memories in a very cathartic way. In this episode of Stories Between the Lines podcast, I am going to narrate a few excerpts from The Country Called Childhood that truly resonated with me. The book is neatly laid out into five distinct sections that chronicles her life from birth to adulthood. Each chapter is thoughtfully named and the words paint a vivid picture for the readers. The very first section of the book is called Beginnings. The chapters in the section evoke the mood and atmosphere of a particular time and place in the past. Ambritsar of the fifties and sixties. Tipti Nava eloquently describes her childhood home a looming four-story building. She grew up in a house that belonged to her paternal grandfather. She brings this family home alive with her beautiful words etching every detail in the chapter named House by the Mosque. Here are her words. To my child's eye, the house in Amritsar had a strange character. There was something mysterious about it. From time to time, when you least expected it, it changed in shape, color, texture, even in the way it felt. When I think of the house, I feel I'm looking at the artwork of a wacky set designer. Some of this was no doubt due to my hyperactive imagination, but a lot of it was also because of the eccentric and noble way in which it was built. There were staircases hidden everywhere, eight in all, going down and across like a crossword puzzle. Isn't that a beautiful description? Of all the places we spent time in our childhood, I think we probably spent most of our time at home. In those formative years, our home, our family, Our surroundings and the community we live in give us a sense of safety and comfort, isn't it? For me, 25 years later, I still remember my childhood home, although it doesn't exist anymore. Every detail of my room, which was my comfort zone, my secret spots to hide things and the steps outside the front door, the jasmine and rose plants all along the walls the creaky front gate and the list goes on and on and on in the chapter titled republic of mochistan Dipti Nawal recounts her surrounding community her mohalla as they say in hindi she says her story would not be complete without the characters that surrounded her yes She calls them characters because they were people both known and unknown to her. Deepti believes that these characters have given her that close-to-life quality that helped her as an actress later on in life. She described the winding lanes, a photo studio where the family took black and white pictures every year and the Darzi, the tailor's of space where her mother would take patterns from Woman and Home magazine to make exact replicas, the Rangwala, fabric dyers who existed at that time, the Republic of Mochistan where shoes would be made, the after-dinner walks where young Deepti would wait for a train to pass, the Chitra talkies where she'd watch Ben-Hur and the guns of Navarone. I particularly loved the way she described a doctor named Atam Prakash and his clinic. She writes, that little clinic operated on the principle that illness and more importantly the cure for all illness was in the mind. Glycerine would sort out pretty much every infection that sprang from the throat and For practically everything else, there was the purple tincture. A quick dab, dab, dab of the solution and off we'd go running to the house and jumping right back into the hopscotch square. Even today, I can recall the smell of that purple tincture and glycerine the cure for every single thing. Now, for those of us who grew up in the 70s and 80s, we know very well the smell and the burning sensation of the purple tincture, don't we? Another character in her mohalla is Dwarka Das, the kite seller who sold kites to candies and everything in between. I found this part of the book so innocently sweet, all for a little chunga. Here's Deepti's story about the chunga. It amuses me today, When I think of it, but we kids believed that chunga was our birthright. If you bought toffees with two anas, you would stand around till you got a bit more out of the poor kite seller. That little extra was called chunga. It was a very cultural thing and I'd seen all the other kids do it. So I thought it was my right too to demand that extra bit. Bargaining is definitely an ingrain in the Indian culture. Haggling can be so much fun. Born in 1952, just a few years after India's independence and after the bloody partition of India, Deepti Naval skillfully evokes the temperament, solemn time in India's history. She writes, My memory of the childhood home is entwined with the mosque dome, its minarets, and the unexpected stirring sound of the Azan, a call for prayer. In the chapter named The Walled City, Deepti Naval recollects her first visit to this tragic place in history. The mosque next to her grandparents' home remained deserted for 10 years after the partition. That is until she was four years old because most Muslims in Amritsar had left for Pakistan after the partition. In 1957, the return of a Malvi filled the place with the sounds of prayer again. She recalls being consumed with curiosity Every time a Fakir from the hills came down to the plains in the winter. She would wonder if he had a family or if, he had, or if he had abandoned them to wander forever. She recounts the dark days of the Jallianwala Bagh massacre. The victims of this horrific incident brought to the mosque for their last rites. For among them were Muslims, Sikhs and Hindus. She writes... Only a stone throw away from the Golden Temple is Jallianwala Bagh, the infamous public ground where the horrific massacre of hundreds of unarmed Indians by the British took place in April 1919. I have a vivid memory of my first visit to the site with my parents when I was around 11. As a child, I would heard of Jallianwala Bagh many a time but didn't know what had actually happened. Now since we were little grown up, my father decided to tell us about the massacre. The word bag means garden and that's what I'd imagined it to be all this while. But this place was in shambles. It looked like a graveyard. I remember walking around this empty, run-down space with a red brick wall all around it. Pitaji took us up close to the markings on the wall where the bullets had been fired. I ran my fingers over the narrow bricks, touching each and every hole in the wall which said, Goli ka Mama walked us around the well where women and children had jumped in to save themselves from the bullets. As evening approached, I sat on the steps in the bog and thought about the massacre the way it would have happened. Faded red brick houses lined the back of the wall, their windows opening into the bark. I imagined how people living in those homes must have actually seen the horror take place right before their eyes. The brutality of the incident left me numb for days. Little did I know at that time that my very first role in Bombay would be a film called Jalian Bagh, where I would tell the story of this tragic chapter in the history of my hometown. For me personally, the chapter that connected me to the book was an exodus from Burma. My father, a refugee from Burma himself, would recall his Harrowing journey along the road of death from Rangoon to Madras, now Chennai, as a teenager. His long journey lasted more than three months by foot, and he walked 300 plus miles through jungles from the north of Burma over the mountainous border and into India. Many people died on this treacherous journey. Most of them died from sickness exhaustion, malnutrition, and starvation. Of course, we will never know the actual death count. Like my dad, Deepthi Nawal's mother and her entire family had left everything behind, all their possession. Every little thing had to be left behind. But her grandmother refused to leave behind one treasure that she loved a lot, her gramophone. She walked the entire way on foot to Lahore, which was then part of India. For miles and miles, she walked with a gramophone on her back. Here's how Deepti tells the story of the exodus from Burma. Deepti's mother, whose name was Himadri, but referred to as Vinnie, her English name, was born in Burma. She had impeccable taste and was very skilled in making beautiful things from knitting sweaters to making handmade gifts and even making Roman slippers to match the color of her saris. How beautiful is that? Her mother was a modern Indian woman in every aspect, educated in the fine arts and very efficient in home management. Her culinary skills were also equally creative. When no other produce was available in the Kulu Valley during their summer vacations, her mother expertly cooked apples in so many different ways. Their meals included apple stew, apple sabzi, apple soup and apple pudding. Tinti's father Uday Chandra Nawal was a scholar. He had a unique parenting style. He organized seminars for his family, friends and neighbors on Sundays to create a thinking atmosphere around the house. The subject could be on any topic that he deemed fit. It was a way of offering his children more intellectual growth and a questioning mind. What a cool way to channel the thinking process in a child, isn't it? Children in general listen to you better when you explain the importance of a topic or a subject and when you have a discussion following that rather than being told what to do. And interestingly, he one day decided to change the family's surname from Sharma to Nawal. Nawal means new. He did not want to be just another Sharma in Amritsar. Her father's attempts to succeed in three different businesses failed and he then took up teaching at a local college. The third section of this memoir is titled, A Country Called Childhood, just like the title of the book. Here, Deepti delves into her childhood with admirable honesty. She writes, In all our lives, childhood is a vast country filled with adventure, emotional landscape, a host of people, and a number of memorable experiences. If we are lucky as I was, this country called childhood will shape you, nurture you and remain with you in some form or the other for the rest of your life. I think this description will resonate with most of the readers. Deepthi and her sister spent a lot of time hanging out together as children. One of the major pastimes being playing ghar ghar or house house. How many of you remember that game where kids would pretend to be grown ups? In this section of the book, we also get a little glimpse into her schooling days at the Sacred Heart Convent and the nuns there. Towards the end of the section, Deepthi reveals the crack in the picture for perfect frame which is her family. She writes, In every life, a little rain will fall. If you are unlucky, these will be major storms. But no matter how fortunate, your childhood would have moments and phases of sadness, disappointment and loss. The people dearest to me in early childhood were Mama, Piti and Didi. They constituted the foundation of which my entire world was built. As long as everything was okay with them, I felt reassured and happy. Then she goes on to talk about the traumatic time that her mama went through losing several children at childbirth. For those women who have suffered a miscarriage or a loss of a baby is a devastating emotional experience. A miscarriage is probably one of the most painful experiences both physically, mentally and emotionally. Deepthi relays this raw and touching account of the sadness and quietness that flows through her mother and the family. To me, one particular chapter in the fourth section called Wars and Rebellion was indeed very very reflective Eve teasing is one of the worst psychological ways to intimidate a woman a way for some perverted men to see a woman as an object for fun is it is a sick form of enjoyment Eve teasing and molestations are problems that women all over the world have faced but in India it is an everyday nuisance I think most of us who have attended colleges in India can relate to this menacing problem. How many of us have been touched inappropriately, groped and catcalled without any hesitation by crass men? I remember having a pepper spray in my handbag and carrying a safety pin as a weapon in my hand when traveling by public transportation. But we as women tend to move on. Even if we are disgusted at that point, such crimes are just pushed under the carpet. The Elbow Crusade chapter was retrospective as I recall these shameful acts by these undignified men. But it was heartwarming to read how Deepthi and her friends waged a war against these skirt chasers, from being prey to becoming predators with their clever and brave plan of attack. The Chappal and juti offensive, like she calls it. The fourth section also tells us about how the idea of being an actor began to take shape in Deepti Naval's mind. By the age of nine, she knew she wanted to be an actor and she was petrified of telling her parents. Her parents enjoyed films and movie outings a lot. Her mother used to direct plays and her grandfather had a box reserved for himself in three cinema halls near their house. However, acting as a career was a big no-no. Here's what she writes about her passion for acting and when it all started. Acting first began as a toddler while playing with her elder sister who'd say, Dippy, chal, chuchi banja. DP, come on, now be, become stupid. And she would start babbling little silly stories much to the enjoyment of the people watching. And when they all clapped for a silly act, she was very proud of her performance. And when her sister had enough of this entertainment, she would call it quits by saying, Acha, ab thi ja. Okay, enough, now be yourself. As a performer, she believes this was the beginning. She writes, When people ask me where I acquired my craft as a performer, I have no qualms crediting those Chuchi Banja, Thikhoja days as my earliest workshops in acting. In the chapter aptly named, the introvert drama queen, she narrates one of her own embarrassing deeds at the age of 13 when she decided to just run away from home. She writes, I'm afraid I cannot complete this memoir unless I write about this time in the 13th year of my life when I did the most irresponsible thing I had yet done. I ran away from home. At first, I thought I'd skip this chapter, pretend like it never happened. But as I continue to write, it coaxes me to tell the whole truth about my act of being rebellion. But if I was a rebel, I was surely a rebel without a cause. Besides the act of leaving home, I had no concrete plan in mind. No real idea of what I was hoping to achieve. Nothing beyond an ostensible desire to see the mountains of Kashmir. Deepti calls this craze for movies filmomania. And why not? So many movies of the 60s and 70s were filmed in the picturesque valleys of Kashmir. We can see why a person like Deepti who was so enamored by the world of movies and cinema would want to run away to the beautiful Kashmir valley. Thankfully, she was rescued even before she got to Kashmir and was brought home safely. I just cannot imagine the anguish her parents were put through. This was a different time, probably a safer one, but so many things could have gone wrong with her tender 13-year-old girl escaping from home, all alone, on a train. The fifth and final section of the book was about her wanting to go to Bombay, now Mumbai, as an excuse to pursue acting. She was immersed in a world of filmomania, but this mania abruptly ended when her father decided to immigrate to the United States of America So the last section is aptly titled, Dreaming of America. Like many first generation immigrants in this great country who moved to this promised land, her father started with almost nothing, a few dollars in his pocket and a dream of of a better life for the family. She writes about her father's initial struggle in a foreign land. The first year was especially hard. He had to work as a librarian by day and as a watchman in a factory in the Bronx by night earning $1.75 an hour. His guard duty required him to do his rounds every hour and then ring a bell periodically to show he was awake. She writes, None of this was easy and I have deep respect for his grit and determination to." first save enough money to send air tickets for all of us to join him he then went back to pursue his studies and obtain a phd in the field of linguistics at the age of 64 a full 44 years after completing his ma honors in lahore from there his qualifications was picked up and now He acquired the post of associate lecturer at the Lehman College, teaching English as a second language at the City University of New York. Towards the end of this last section, she reflects on the time when they had to say goodbye to all their family and friends that they're leaving behind in India and taking on this long journey to the promised land, America. She writes, As I turned at the threshold to look back at my grandparents one last time, I saw Buddy Daddy sitting alone in the vera of the old house, looking at us with his liquid eyes, his right hand trembling on his thigh. At that moment, standing by the door looking back, I remember feeling, why can't I say something appropriate to my grandfather at this moment? Can't I give him hope? that we will meet again. But that was not to be. I was never to see Buddy Daddy again. This part really brought tears to my eyes. I think all of us can relate to the tearful goodbyes. When it is time to say goodbyes, I somehow feel the clock ticks faster than ever. So many people are waiting, the taxi is waiting, the suitcases are waiting to be loaded into the uh, cars or taxis. There's never enough time to take in that extra time to come to terms with the separation that is about to happen. And the goodbyes happen so very quickly and all you're left is tears on the way to the airport, right? At the end of the book, Deepti Nava leaves us at the age of 18, her childhood at the brink of adulthood. What a mesmerizing kaleidoscope of memories, isn't it? Like the chunga she demanded from Dwaraka Das, the kite seller. I was left with asking for some chunga myself, like a sequel maybe or an entire book about her mother's life in Burma. Now that would transport us to the city of Mandalay, just like how she painted a perfect picture of Amritsar in a different era. There's something about history and historical places that seem to captivate me lately. I guess I feel going back in time is the only tangible connection to the past. Hope you all enjoyed this episode of Stories Between the Lines podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and comment on my podcast on the platform you're listening to. Have a grateful November and a very, very happy Thanksgiving to all who celebrate here in the U.S. Until next time, take care.